Dear fellow people of God who are just absolutely blessed to know that their sin has been washed away and their transgression has been covered. Amen. Do you guys remember a song that has, it, it's got this little, little part in it where you, you get to say, if you're lucky enough, you get to excitedly say, who, me? Do you remember, do you remember the other part of that song? Who, me? Who, who stole the cookies from the cookie jar? Right? Oh, my goodness. Classic. Anybody else have fabulous memories of this as a small boy of a certain age? Yeah, parties. My goodness. Somebody, supposedly up until that moment, one of your best friends in the whole wide world, up and accuses you of being the person who steals the cookies right out of the jar, and you get to say, <laughs> no way, who, me? Couldn't be. And then you get to turn right around and choose somebody else, one of your friends, and say that they were the one who stole the cookies out of the cookie jar. Yeah, that person right there, and then they get to deny it, and so on it goes. A lot of fun, right? It, it totally is. There's a point to this, and it's this is that as individual as that song is, the, the naming, the, the back and forth, the me, what in the world? Think about all of the places in God's word where he gives guidance for life, where he gives his people just the what for and tells you how it is. And when God says those things, because they are from God, and because you, yes, you are a Christian, those things are meaningful and authoritative to you. They apply directly to you and are to be put into immediate practice by you. Yes, you. And that's nothing but good, because when you do these things, the blessing that God gives to us, his body, this church in the world of peace and love and unity. These things are preserved and they're enhanced. They flourish even. So because you love Jesus just tremendously, because of what he did to give you eternal life, you eagerly listen up to whatever it is he says, and you do whatever it is he says, because all of these words that we're talking about today, from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, apply directly to you. Yes, you. Now, don't think about stealing cookies out of the cookie jar for the sermon. Think about these types of things, something altogether more substantial than all that. This is what God says to you. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Think about that. In the broadest of terms possible, in the way you communicate, there is zero room for mockery, belittling, rumor, gossip, hate, slander, or anything that is unwholesome in any way. 
There's no place for that at all because you are God's child, but you're also a person who lives in this world, so you're a sinner too. So you've got that pesky, ultra-stubborn, sinful nature that just has these uh, impulses and urges that just pop up seemingly out of nowhere, even though they're not the things you want to do. Until you master having those impulses in your mind at all to think something horrible about somebody, the next best thing to do is to just keep them in check and to keep them from popping up and flying out of your mouths or any more maybe out of your fingertips onto a keyboard into the comment section somewhere. Fight to keep it in control. Those nasty urges to say something demeaning or denigrating about somebody or to somebody. That is understandably and relatably. It's a tall order, but it's exactly what God calls us to in his word and equips us to do in the very same. The Holy Spirit gives us this wonderful gift of wisdom and awareness so that we are more mindful, not just of what we say, but the overall tone we use as we think of others and then how we speak of them to other people, how we speak to others, how we interact with others, that each and every single thing we do be geared toward building them up according to their needs, what their needs actually are, which means you gotta ask what their needs are. I have a whole lot of needs that I think a lot of other people have. That is not what God is talking about here. Very helpful to ask. There's just some simple questions to this end. Like, what's this person going through? You can be as direct as possible and just ask yourself, what are their needs? And then, how can I address them? How can I care for them? And, and there are a number of wonderful things that go on when this is our way of thinking, that somebody is helped, and that's great. But something else happens too. When other people hear about your goodwill, the, the, just the love that's bubbling up from your heart, that transforms into action, they are blessed and benefited too because they received grace from you indirectly because they heard about what you did. Those who listened were benefited. That's exactly what Paul says here. So litmus test time. Are we this way? How do we find out? We ask a bunch of other questions that have the potential to be uncomfortable. We ask questions about how we think of others, those we know personally, and those we know very indirectly because we only see them or interact with them through various platforms of media. And then we examine the attitudes of our hearts which then determine our thinking and our speaking. Ask, do I always seek to build up with whatever it is that I could say, or can I tear down? Can I belittle? Can I be crude without even realizing it? Do others benefit and receive grace from what I say and the way I say it or, or not so much. 
And, and in this conversation, you got to think about your nonverbal communications as well, because those speak volumes without, without any words even. That exasperated sigh, maybe, when that person said that thing for like what to you is the bajillionth time, and you're just tired of hearing it, so you go, Ugh. And you think it's, it's quieter than it is. Or we're having this conversation in my house with some folks. They can remain anonymous. That when your eyes couldn't possibly roll back into your skull any farther, people notice that. It's incredibly disrespectful. It's incredibly rude. And sometimes, because we have that stubborn, pesky, sinful nature, that's just how we react to stuff. Oh, brother. Sometimes we do both at once. It's an impulse, and that's not great. We say, oh, I'm sorry. I did not mean to do that. Other times, we act that way toward each other, the people we love in this world, on purpose to hurt. We do that sometimes, but we should do that none of the times because the result is never good. The result is always grief with each other, strained and horrible relationships. And who enjoys that? Nobody. But it doesn't just cause grief with each other. It causes grief with the Lord too. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we sin against each other, just by the way we talk, what we say, how we say it, the other person just isn't offended or sinned against, but God, the Holy Spirit is too. And he's one of the last people we want to sin against because of what he has done for us. My goodness, think about the Holy Spirit's work. He is the person that God decided in his mysterious counsel would take you and wash you in the river of blood that flowed from Christ when he was crucified. He is the person of God who does you the most profound service of breathing into your heart the fire of faith and sustaining that fire giving you all of the goodness that Christ has earned to give to you. He seals you for the day of redemption. The last thing we want to do is sin against him. Instead, we want to show our love and our thanks to him and rejoice to live the life of purity that he has given to us for Jesus' sake. So how do we do that? If there's any cause for bitterness that you have against anyone, kill it, put it to bed, bury it along with any feelings of hate or rage that might cause you to defame or denigrate your neighbor in your thinking or in your speech. Paul says it this way. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Who has this verse memorized by heart? Who can just rattle it off with John 3.16? I'm not raising my hand either because I can't do that. But I think there are some really helpful things in this verse to be aware of so that we might actively more rid ourselves of them. Getting rid of bitterness and rage and anger and slander and just any ill intent towards somebody, which is what malice is. Imagine that place that even if it isn't there yet, it's like making conscious attempts. It's striving to be place that wants to get rid of this nastiness. 
but has instead patience and grace. There's an attitude of just building others up complete with follow through. What a place that would be. What people those would be to be around. I mean, my goodness. What a way to let people see the love of Christ in us by being the way that I just described. I mean, when people can see and experience the love of Jesus, when we are those ways, getting rid of this, but putting on these things, being kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. People are drawn to God's love when we are the thing that makes them comfortable. And if we can't provide that service, we do whatever we can to facilitate it. And when that attitude's a two-way street, that's as blessed as it could possibly be. When we're tender-hearted with each other, that's a good thing. Sometimes we feel like a bunch of big old saps if we're too tender-hearted with each other, if we're just too sympathetic and caring and feeling what others are going through. But my goodness, I can't imagine a a stronger foundation for healthier Christian relationships. Because what does that mentality lead to if not a willingness to be as generous as you could possibly be with forgiveness, with just letting things go? That's what forgiveness is. Sometimes I think maybe we're hesitant to be as fully uh, forgiveness forward, paying it forward as we could possibly be. Because sometimes we confuse forgiveness with an endorsement for sin. Sometimes in our minds, we we slip into thinking that saying, I forgive you to somebody is kind of like saying, hey man, it's okay. No big deal. When that couldn't be further from the truth. Because sin is always a big deal. Sin is never okay. And forgiveness acknowledges that. Forgiveness says what happened was very much not okay at all, but I am choosing to let the guilt of it go. Forgiveness is by far the most powerful tool that we have when it comes to living lives of peace with each other. And there's no limit to the forgiveness that we're supposed to give toward one another. Think about the level to which God has forgiven you. In that parable of Jesus from our gospel lesson, the billions and billions of dollars of debt just swept away. We can forgive a couple of hundred of dollars from our neighbor to us. Our attitude can be, when it comes to forgiveness, easy come, easy go which is good. Freely have we been given, freely do we give forgiveness. And we can be that way with true joy, understanding the the fullness, like the weight of what it means to say, I forgive you, because we know that accomplishing our forgiveness was not easy at all. Think about what Jesus went through so that when you say, I forgive you, when your pastor in church says, God forgives you, that it would mean something, that it would count for something. Even before Jesus was actually arrested, he had those moments of agony in prayer where his physical body was affected by what was going on in his soul so that his capillaries and his forehead were bursting and his sweat was like drops of blood mixed together. He knew what was coming. 
and he went there for you. He suffered tremendously in a physical way that I can never relate to, and I hope you never have to either. And in the middle of that, as he's nailed to a tree, paying for the sins of the world, then he experiences what I would imagine to be tremendous emotional agitation when people start making fun of him and mocking him for taking away their sins. And as if that wasn't bad enough, then in the middle of this, his own father turns his face away from him and forsakes him. It's like the, the pinnacle of God's judgment, turning his goodness and his face away. And he did that to his own son. Because that's what it took to earn your forgiveness. Jesus earned it gladly because you being forgiven means that you are saved and that you live in heaven forever. That stands on Jesus' love. And it's this love, this like dying on the cross in the place of another type of love that God calls you to imitate no matter the person, no matter the situation you live this way because you're God's child. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. You are a child of the Father, so never stop looking up to dear old heavenly dad and never stop admiring him. Never stop wanting to be like him to the degree that you just want to go into the family business of just showing love and compassion and mercy to people, lavish love on people because you, yes, you have been shown such love that you should be called a child of God. And that's exactly what you are. And if you're drawing a blank on what living the Father's love looks like, open your Bibles to the New Testament, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and study what Jesus does there because everything Jesus does is God the Father's love. God the Father wears his heart on his sleeve toward you in the person of Christ Jesus. And you are called to imitate that. And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is your way of walking the type of love that lays its, lays its life down for its friends to destroy their sin. That level of love is what you are called to do, but you're called to do it in peace, in a zero-pressure scenario, because you know that everything Jesus did, he did absolutely perfectly. He perfectly pleases God the Father. Twice, God let everybody know that with words. At Jesus' baptism, at his transfiguration, but then on Good Friday, without saying anything, God the Father showed humanity that he was pleased with his son when he received his spirit into his open hands, accepting the payment of his life he just made on the cross. And he shouted out that he was pleased with his son even louder a couple of days later on Easter Sunday when he came back to life. And then as if that wasn't enough, then on ascension, he said, come on up here. And he sat Jesus down at his right hand in glory and gave him the job of ruling his kingdom for your benefit. That is absolutely true for you. Yes, you. Let this knowledge comfort you because it means heaven for you. 
Let this knowledge empower you to love and build others up according to their needs with all the confidence in the world because Christ has taken away your sin. Amen.